The opinions expressed during this program are solely the opinions of the hosts, guests, and callers. They do not necessarily represent the views of the advertisers, management, staff, or ownership of WCTC. You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. Listen here for inspiring stories from people just like you who had their wake-up call to make a bold decision and live their best life. They did it, and so can you. What are you waiting for? I'm your host, Christina Previtt. If we haven't met before, I was a divorce lawyer in New Jersey for 15 years. I'm currently the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a divorce law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I love talking to people who have overcome their fears and forged their own path in life. They had a wake-up call to make a radical change. They did it, and so can you. My guest today is Elena Deutsch. Elena is the founder and CEO of Will, Women Interested in Leaving Big Law. Elena is a career coach committed to helping women lawyers leave big law and take action towards a career and life they love. She helps women attorneys who feel stuck and unhappy become clear on what they want next, kick inner naysayers out of the driver's seat, and act on their dreams. Whether you want to go in-house, another practice area, or have a complete career change, Elena can help you do that. Welcome, Elena. Thank you, Christina. I probably didn't do that introduction really any justice as to what you actually do, so I'm just going to let you tell us what you do. I, I think the introduction actually really says it. I help I help women lawyers and some men also. I'm working with some men also. Become clear on what it is they want and uh, stop living a life filled with dread on Sunday nights and Monday mornings and lawyers who feel... Like it's not the right fit for them. I help them figure out what it is they want to do next, believe that they can do it, and get going. So you're referring to the Sunday scaries. The Sunday scaries, the Sunday night belly aches, anxiety. I mean, I have clients and people I've spoken with who say they, they literally, like, on the train into the office, their stomach becomes a knot. I'm working with someone who, you know, she she used to be, like, under her desk filled with anxiety. And now... Now she's not. I can relate to that. I, I It's funny. All you have to do is go on Facebook on Sunday and see who hates their job because they're all oh, posting so about it. And they, they make jokes out of it. You know, like it's funny, but yeah. and I guess to, to some degree it's funny, but it's kind of sad. And I always I have this canned uh, poster that I put up almost every Sunday and it says it's not Mondays. It's your job. um you know but there's always this concept that i talk about all the time with different coaches that some people just have this mentality that work is work and it's not supposed to be fun and it it serves a purpose you go to work to collect your checks so you can go home and pay your bills and you know live the happy american dream um of course i'm saying that facetiously yeah I mean, if people are satisfied with that and that that makes them happy, um, great. And if they're not, there's... Look, I feel like I believe that we are here on planet Earth for a pretty short time and that we are here to do something. And everyone everyone has a different something that the potential in all of us to bring something through is is tremendous. And so I love helping people figure out what that thing that they want to do is. So your ideal and client it, really isn't the person who's just going to accept that, 
you know, this is just work and it's not supposed to be fun. You get the people that are unhappy, but they actually want to do something about it. Exactly, exactly. And I get the people who are unhappy who are ready to take action, or maybe they've already taken action. Maybe they've already left the law or their practice or the firm, and they, they're, they're detoxing, they're replenishing, um, and they're not sure what else they could do. They're not sure what their skills are. They're not sure what their, you know, what, it, what, what all those years of legal practice, and for many people, they find it to be very pigeonholing. Like, uh, especially in a big law firm, you can get really narrowed down into a very narrow slice yeah. of legal work. And so I'm working with a man right now, actually, who said, you know, he doesn't know what his skills and his strengths are. So we're in the process of discovering that for him. Well, I can say from my own experience as a divorce lawyer, I've been a divorce lawyer for 15 years, and I remember probably halfway through I started considering whether I really wanted to do that and Mm -hmm. it was really difficult to think of going into some other practice area because once Mm -hmm. you've been doing it for a while you're you're kind of a one-trick pony you know that's what you do you do divorce and I remember thinking that perhaps I would have been better off if I had gone to work for a firm that does just general stuff, you know, has a has a, a bunch of different practice areas, because then at least I would have been maybe a five trick pony. <laughs> but, um, see, but look, you're not a one trick pony. Look, you're doing this radio show. You're you're doing lots of interesting different things. You've got a side hustle. Like You've got more you want to contribute to the world that you are. Yeah, it took me a long time to figure that out. So um, hopefully that can be some inspiration to anyone who's listening who feels that way, that feels stuck, that feels like I've been doing however, however long you've been doing it. If you've been doing it 20 years, some, you know, maybe corporate work, whatever it is, um, I would hope that maybe this would be inspiring to them so they don't feel stuck and they feel like there is something else that they could do where they could use this, all the skills that and knowledge that they've gained over the past 10 to 20 years and use that as a platform to do something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just actually was on the call this morning with a client who left she left her law firm job. She was a fifth-year associate, and now she's got a job at a startup where she's part-time. She's like half legal and half operations, and she's learning so much, and she's, you know, stretching herself because she's in an environment where she has to take initiative, where she's learning things she's never learned before, and that really energizes her. She's in meetings all the time, which she really likes. She's digging into projects and problem solving, but it's a very different culture than a law firm where you're just, like, told what to do all the time. And so, you know, part part of the work is is a big mindset shift in being kind to oneself. Yes, which a lot of us aren't good at doing. Which is, it's really hard to do. We've got these internal critics that whenever we push against something new and we're going to the edge of our comfort zone, our inner critics want to keep us safe. They want to keep everything the same. Um, so I, I, help, I help clients learn how to manage those inner critics so that they can go beyond because everything we want, and myself included, right, everything we all want is really on the other side of that comfort zone. Definitely. And this is true of anybody who's practicing law and isn't happy or if if you're in some other profession and 
it's just not it's not your jam anymore, as I like to say. But um, how long have you been doing the career this particular career coaching? So, um, <clears throat> so I had a previous business where with a business partner where we were doing leadership coaching and uh, some career coaching, and so I did I did career coaching for lawyers as part of that too. And then, so that was like 2010 to 2017. And then in 2017, I started, uh, I did a pilot project for Will, for women interested in leaving law. And I, so I did pilot two years ago, and then I started it really very officially, launched my own business, left my business partner, in, um, and so I started Will in 2018, January 2018. So how did you develop and how did you evolve into that particular niche? So, because it's so um, specific. It's, yeah, it's so specific. So ever since I started coaching, I've been coaching for probably about 15 years now. Ever since I started coaching, I've attracted some lawyers to to myself. I think part of that is that my dad was a lawyer, and um, and I chose not to go to law school. And I had always, when I was a kid, thought I was going to be a lawyer, but I decided not to. And so I've always had this affinity for lawyers, so I'd always attracted some to me. And so through my whole coaching career, I'd always been coaching lawyers around career stuff and wanting a career transition. I coached this one guy um, who he worked at a big firm, but he was Australian. And after our work together, he, he, left, he left the law. He went and he traveled. He produced a TV show. And then he actually ended up back in a firm, but like on the business side of things with a much more regular schedule. And he loves it. So I kind of had a lot of ideas about doing this for about four years before I started Well, I had had the idea. Um, and then in the summer of 2016, I, I turned 50, and my mom had died a couple of years earlier, and I just worked with a client, and she found a job at a great startup, and she had gotten very clear that she wanted the benefit of unlimited vacation days. And she got yes. that. And we were both like just full body chills. It was amazing. And that summer I was on vacation with uh, my family in Cape Cod. And I, this idea kept waking me up every morning, like at five thirty in the morning, it was shaking me out of bed. So I would get out and I would sit down on the couch. I started writing in my journal, all these ideas that were coming to me. And the words will, women interested in leaving law. And I inserted the word big between leaving law because it's either big law or small law or just maybe you're in, I've got clients who are in-house, but women who are interested in leaving law came out of my pen and I decided to really go for it. So you would, you could help someone even if they're not at, at a large law firm. Exactly. Absolutely. I've got clients who are in-house. I've got clients who already stepped away. I've got clients who, you know, have taken a break to raise kids or take care of aging parents. So, yeah, yeah my clients range, range in from, from like, first-year associates to 25-year-plus partners and people who are not in firms also. And just to touch on something that um, you and I have discussed privately 
Some people mm-hmm. who are listening may recall that you and I had an interview. We did a Facebook Live interview probably a few months ago on this very topic, limited to specifically helping women get out of law. But we wanted to mm-hmm. go a little bit beyond that this time because yeah. I'll share with the audience that when that interview was done and I was speaking to you privately, we were just kind of talking about a comment that you had made where you said that you saw the stress of a law career by example from your father and you had said that on the air, but I really didn't follow up with it. I just kind of assumed you were just generally talking about the pressures of being an attorney. But then when I questioned you about it later, you had something deeply personal to share that I was absolutely not expecting. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you really have talked about publicly, but um, you are ready to talk about that experience. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that and share that with our audience. Thanks, Christina. Yeah, and it was, it was interesting also because you followed up with me then. You were like, Elena, your story is really stuck with me, and I think you should tell it more publicly. So I want to appreciate your, your encouragement and in, in doing this conversation today. Well, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to be part of that with you. Yeah, yeah. So as I said, my dad was a lawyer, so he was an attorney, and he was a criminal defense attorney in New York City. He had a small private practice with a couple of partners, and he was, you know, he'd gone to college. He was a Depression-era baby. So he was born in 1927, and he's no longer alive. Um, but And then he went to law school on the GI Bill. He went to college and law school right after World War II. So he went from this, like, really poor kid to this lawyer. And he was, he was a handsome guy. He was, like, he didn't get married until he was in his mid-30s, which was late at that time. And he was a criminal defense attorney in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. So he saw a lot, a lot of stuff. And he, um, he really lost his way. And he ended up embezzling money from a client or trying to embezzle money from a client. And he got arrested. And how old were you and when that happened? I was about, I think it was in 1980, I was, I was 14. So you remember so, this. It's not like you were a little kid. Yeah, I wasn't a little kid. I was a teenager. I mean, I remember one night he didn't come home. And we were kind of like, where is that? And the next day he was home when I came home from school. And he was like in his pajamas and laying on his bed and not really talking. And I went up to see if he wanted to come down for dinner. I said, Dad, you, you know, dinner's ready. Do you want to come down? He said, no. I'm like, are you okay? And he was like, I'm okay. And it was later that week that I learned that he had been arrested. And he pled guilty. How did you learn and that? Who did your mom? Was your mom around? Okay. Like, I don't My mom was there, yeah. My parents were together at the time. And my mom, you know, was taking care of things, but... <clears throat> Excuse me, but I don't remember them telling us that, but that's what happened. Okay, so you and don't remember the actual conversation where they sat down and said this yeah. happened. And how do you remember? I don't. How do you? That's interesting. I wonder if it's just because it was so traumatic for you at that time. Because when we're fourteen, you know, a hangnail or a bad hair day is dramatic. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, this is pretty dramatic. Yeah. It had been in the newspaper. We were living, we were living on Long Island at the time. We had moved from the city. I was a little city kid until 
until I was eight, and then we moved to Long Island. And then, um, so I just remember it made the paper in Newsday. And, and like, how did just, you know I that? felt like... Were you reading I, it? Someone told me. I think mm. my parents told me that it was in the newspaper. I didn't go and look at it. It's funny. I've never looked it up. I could. Um, I don't really want to. I just have yeah. my memories, and that's enough. Um, but my dad... You know, he ended up pleading guilty, and he, very fortunately, he didn't go to prison, but he was disbarred, and it really altered the whole rest of his life, was never the same. And how and, yeah. how would you go say ahead. that that affected you at the time when you were 14? What were you feeling? I mean, I think, I, again, like, I was 14, so it's it's such a hard time of life where you do feel like the world revolves around you. So yeah. I told my best friends, but I think I just decided to pretend that no one else really knew. <laughs> little magical realism. Yes. And, and I just went about my life, you know, and then I, I just was extremely relieved when my dad didn't go to prison, you know, like, and he had community service, and he... He lost his law license, and my parents' marriage fell apart after that. And, and my dad moved back into the city, and my mom you know, stayed on, on Long Island until I finished high school. Do you feel like that was a really pivotal event in your life or in, certainly Absolutely. within your family? I had always, when I was a little kid, we would sit around the dinner table and play mock trial. And, you know, one of us was the judge, and one was the jury, and one was the de- defense attorney and one was the prosecuting attorney and my dad would kind of bring his cases and we would play with them and it was he really strongly believed he loved being a lawyer he strongly believed that everyone deserved a fair trial and you know it really it altered my life and that I I was like I'm never going to go to law school I don't think I consciously thought that but I had always thought I was going to be a lawyer until then really and after that I was like no so it, it affected you so deeply. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. would you think that you couldn't go to law school or you didn't want to go to law school because that happened to him? Well, I think I just saw my dad lose his way, right? And and it's funny. I recently saw something, and um, I was reading the Napoleon Hill book, which is Think and Grow Rich, where yes. he says something to the effect of, you know, when when a person first spends time with criminals, they find their behavior abhorrent. And then over time, they get used to it, and then they think it's okay. And I I think that's part of what happened for my dad. And we know now, right, from contemporary neuroscience and all the studies that that people are doing, that, like, we, we we are the accumulation. We're influenced by the five people we spend the most time with. So my dad was influenced by the people he hung out with. And I think just intuitively, it just didn't feel safe to me. I get and that. I'm always, my whole life, I've always been someone who's been, ha- like, my goals in life have been to be happy and to help other people. And I, I just, I found other ways to help people, which ultimately led me to, like, helping lawyers. <laughs> and the, the connection for me, it's, I think there's many, there's not just one. But it's my, my clients are people who, on a very soul level, have don't feel right in the work that they're doing. Yeah. And it's not to say that they're doing anything illegal or unethical. That's not it. It's that 
it does not feel right for their soul. Yes, and, you feel a resistance around it. Yeah. And well, I think something like that happened for my dad, like on a soul level, he, he got he he got way off course. And I feel you know, many of my clients talk about their relationships are suffering with their partners and spouses and kids. They're not present for their kids. They often need alcohol at the end of the day to, you know, to different, to really separate work. They suffer from tremendous anxiety, some depression, because they can't, they don't feel like they have any control over their own time and their life. So there's, yeah, to, to there's, help people and like the impact from my work, it goes way beyond finding them another job. Their relationships with their partners get better. They're they're present, more present for their kids. They're just happier. Well, you said something interesting that you start to think like the people that you surround yourself mm. with, and whatever is sort of normal for them, you start to think is normal, and. Just going back to how we started this conversation with this this mentality that a lot of people have that if you hate your job, that should be very alarming to people. If you mm-hmm. hate your job and you hate where you have to go every day and you're profoundly unhappy, why is that not considered an emergency? Well, to me, it's amazing that we can just have this attitude that, well, it's just work. You know, you're not supposed to love it when you go to work every day. And so I think when you're surrounded by that mentality, and I would say that that mentality is pervasive. And you can yeah. let me know if you disagree, yeah. maybe not in the circles that you travel in. But I do yeah. think that there's just this general mentality that work is work. You just go to get your check. You're not supposed to be happy. And if everybody around you is thinking that, then I think sometimes when you start to think, well, you know, maybe someone who's listening to you, like, you mean I I could actually leave my job? I could leave this job that I hate? When they actually allow themselves to start thinking that, um, you know, there's a lot of resistance maybe from everybody else in their life. Like, who are you to think that you can have a complete career change and you don't have to suffer like the rest of us. Oh God, there's so much in what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, law firms and, and, and lawyers, it's, it's very tribal, right? And that fear of loss of love and fear of being kicked out of the tribe and, and who am I to think that I can do something different is a big mindset hurdle that people need help with. If they want to make a change, like, they need support and a community and 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 to, tools so that they can be like, you know what, I can make a change. Listen, and I know Oprah is like Oprah. Right? Yes. Like, the woman was born like a poor child, single mother, raped as a child. Like she, what she has accomplished by her mind really alone is it's just astonishing. And there's it, it tons of other examples. You know, but she she didn't do that alone. She built community. She built friendship. She read Maya Angelou's Remarkable Woman over and over and over. And, um, she changed you know, her mindset. This, yeah, she changed her mindset. And she still works on her mindset all the time. And I, I work on my mindset every day. And the people I surround myself with are doing that too. My clients and, and colleagues, 
Like you, like you're starting this radio show. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I think, too, there's... we spend so much because I'll, I'll admit that I've struggled with this myself is that how can I have spent so many years going to college, you know, for what seemed like forever, um, despite what some people say, law school wasn't easy. I actually went part time at night and I worked full time during the day. I yeah. traveled to Camden from North Brunswick, which was about a, an hour drive to go at night one way. Uphill both ways. <laughs> I know that's mm-hmm. where, where this story mm-hmm. sounds like it's going. But I made significant sacrifices to do that, to get through law school, got myself into student loan debt, then finally got out, went through the trouble of studying and passing the bar and, you know, working my way up the, the legal ladder, finding my place, finding a job at a law firm, learning how to be a lawyer, because you don't actually know how to be a lawyer when you get out of law right. school. And that right. in, a, in and of itself is a little bit of an excruciating transformation. And then you finally get there. It takes years. And then you finally get there in a place where you're actually comfortable being a lawyer. And, and then you get to a place where you start to think, hmm, I don't know if this is really what I want to do, you know, after all that. After all that, yeah. And that's, that's it's a big shift. And it's, you know, there's all those, those quote-unquote sunk costs, right? All this time, all this money, driving uphill both ways. And, and I, you know, you have to, but there comes a point where, like, you're so unhappy doing what you all that, that that the opportunity cost for not doing something different and leveraging all those quote-unquote sunk costs, all the investments you made in yourself are not lost. No, I mean, you they are fodder. They are fodder, like, for your fire for the next thing. Yeah, so the thing that so, I love that you've talked about, which I've you know, come to appreciate more and more since the last time we spoke about it was that you can, you can use, if you want to, you can use everything that you have learned over all these years, going to school and learning and studying as a platform. Exactly. It may have set you up perfectly for the next thing. And you just don't know what that next thing is yet because you don't know what you don't know. Well, because you also, if you won't allow yourself to even think about it and even consider it, then you 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 will never get there. Because if That's you can't right. even allow your mind to be open enough to consider the possibility that there is something else out there for you, then... That's, yes, exactly. Then you'll never find it. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I love helping people, you know, discover and go from this place of like, I don't know, I don't, I don't have any skills. I'm like, of course you have skills. Let's figure out what they are. Let's do your strength finder assessment. Well, I and, know, I know people that have. Um, there's one person in particular. I won't say her name, but she didn't like practicing law. She's a fellow divorce lawyer, and mm-hmm. she decided she was going to quit and go find something else. I don't know exactly what jobs she was applying for, but she said that managers would say to her, well, it's impressive that you have a law degree, but what can you do for us? So Mm -hmm. she probably just wasn't looking in the right place. Um, but maybe I should set her up with you. <laughs> well, that would be great. Or maybe she just wasn't ready to answer that question. But if she got ready to answer that question, she could knock it out of the park. That's true, too. Maybe she, she just wasn't ready. 
You know, because what have you, so there's tons of things that she learned and developed and as a divorce attorney. Oh my God, your people negotiating skills and your listening skills and, and, and your ability to find solutions and problem solve. Every business needs people who can do those things. So I, I, I don't know what her special sauce is because, but she, I'm sure she has those things plus. So it's just a, yeah. a question of like knowing what you're, what you love to do, what your natural gifts and talents are, and then being able to tell your story, like really with yourself as the protagonist, as the hero, that you're great at this, this, and that, and you can do X, Y, Z for them. Well, I think too what I th- lawyers suffer from is. Um, at the risk of offending anybody is being sort of at the top of the food chain, right? Like, you know, the two big professions are doctors and lawyers. And once you've, you've been a lawyer and you're accustomed to being perceived a certain way by the public, uh, I think some people like that. And it's hard to think about giving that up. If, you know, my whole identity has been, I'm the big fancy lawyer. I'm the highfalutin lawyer, especially if you were the first person in your family to go to college and you're doing much better than your parents did. There's sometimes this feeling that, well, I'm already doing so great. How, how could I not be happy with this? And aren't I disappointing my parents or the people around me or the people in my community that how could you not want to be a lawyer? Do you meet people who struggle with that? Absolutely. Listen, that's one of the big pitfalls is prestige, like you're talking about, and identity or a couple of those. And I, I help people in a couple of different ways with that. But one is like, you will never not be a lawyer. You you have earned that. You, like you talked about your experience, your hard-earned experience. That's in your back pocket. No one can ever take that away from you. Nor do you have to stop, quote-unquote, being a lawyer if you choose to stop practicing law. That's right. And so, you can't turn your lawyer yeah, brain off. <laughs> yours to keep if you want it. And it's also yours to say, I'm a lawyer and or Another way around this is to, like, help people turn it into a verb. Like, I do lawyering instead of I am a lawyer. And what else do I want to be and do and have? So, you know, so, this, like, so that's, that's part of it. Um, and another, another part of it is, is those conversations, right? Those people in your life who may have invested in you, may want you to continue to, to be this safe lawyer thing. Um, so it takes time sometimes and to get your fa- friends and family to come around or they might never. You know, the, at this, the end of the day, like, who are you living for? This, Yes, that's right. And you could say that about anything. Whatever is the hard decision you have, who are you living for? But, um, you know, it's it's reminiscent of what I experience when I'm counseling somebody who wants to get a divorce. Excuse me. A lot of times they'll come in and it doesn't seem they've really made the decision yet. It's Mm. just something they're thinking about. But it's usually been something they've been thinking about for a really long time. You know, somebody doesn't just think about it one day and then call a lawyer. So they've been thinking about it for sometimes 10 years. And it's always fascinating to me how they really wrestle with that. And 
and you know make a lot of excuses like well I need to stay for the kids and I need to I'm going to wait until this happens or that happens or you know some event some event that's you know in the distant future I'm going to wait till that happens because things will be better when that happens and it'll be right. easier do you find people doing that as well you know, Are they waiting for magical way, circumstances? When people reach out to me and have we have a phone conversation, they've been thinking about it for a really long time, and they feel really stuck and unhappy, and they want help. So, so let's, I, let's talk I really about- honor that, like, the act of reaching out for that conversation is a significant step, and I don't take it lightly, and I... I you know, real kudos to people who've been thinking about it and take that action because it's scary, but it's a big, giant step forward. And I, I can speak to the divorce, and I think that there are parallels. If someone wants a divorce, I think a lot of times what they're so worried about is that unknown. Well, what is this exactly going to look like, mm-hmm. and how is it going to go? And what because once you really pull that trigger, it's sort of hard to go back. Um, yep. And so I think that's always the fear, and I... I, having experienced it myself, having considered a career change, I think about the same things. You know, what if I go into something else and I don't like it or it's not any better? Or let's face it, money is part of the decision making. I've grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle. I would have to, well, maybe I would have to take a pay cut. And is that something that I really want to do? Am I prepared to do that? Some people would say they can't because they have certain financial obligations and family obligations. They don't have the luxury of taking a pay cut. So how do you handle those things with your clients? That's such a good question. I mean, I handle, I handle them one, one at a time, and then there are themes that emerge. So, so we work on our money, our money. People work on their money story, their internal perceptions about money, and their reality around money. So that's, that's part of it. It's, you know, I mean, coaching is helping people find the, the insights and the answers for themselves. So I ask them questions that get them thinking and, about, and get them to a place of, of insight and energy where they feel so excited about new possibilities and they can begin to see them that they feel willing to take those next steps. And what about getting um, what about getting the support? Let's say that there's a spouse who's just really not on board with it. Do you what do you get people like that? Yeah, yeah, I mean before, I for for my clients who are married, they they typically get their spouses on board before investing in my services. So they've been having these conversations, like you said, for for often a long period of time. And I want, I want them to think about before, before engaging in this work, because like you said at the beginning of this conversation, like my services are really for people who are ready to, to move from thinking about it to doing something about it. And often they've been so unhappy for so long, their spouses are like, please do something. <laughs> we'll figure out the money. Um, and, and so there's, they, they want their, they feel like their relationships will improve is what I hear from my yeah. clients and prospective clients. Yeah, because they'll actually be happy and not miserable. Yeah. So one of my clients, like she, her husband found her one morning dancing in the kitchen with their preschooler 
to like the Justin Timberlake um, song from Trolls, like can't stop the feeling, right? And so she, she, and he's like, "Who are you? And what happened?" <laughs> and she's she's like back to herself again. I always describe it as you know how when somebody is newly in love. And everything's wonderful in the world. They go outside. It could be raining, but it's a beautiful day. They go yeah. get a cup of coffee. They're super nice to the you know the person giving them the coffee. Everything's wonderful. There's just nothing yeah. wrong. And you know the rest of us are like, oh geez, <laughs> you know this person's right, obviously right. in love because everything's great. Right, but or they've changed their mindset about how they see the world and how they're choosing to see the world. Oh my god, this one client like. Two clients recently said something I thought was so interesting. One said, and we were on a group call, and I, I want to talk a second about, about the community because it's really important. And one said, she's like, I just want to see colors again. Mm. And she's the one who suffers from a lot of anxiety. And many yeah. of my clients suffer from anxiety. But she, she really has had it bad and then another one who i've been working with for a while she left her job as a lawyer she started doing working as a in a real estate development company doing as she says epic work and she is um she's got all this free time now and she started running again and she started like focusing on her relationship with her husband again and she said she sees color again more vividly Yes. So much like when you're in love and everything looks wonderful and and colorful, if you're miserable, that's what you see. You see misery exactly. in everything, right? You exactly. you can't enjoy other things because your job, which which is such a big part of your life, is making you misery that miserable that it actually bleeds over into everything else. Right, right. And I want to get back to the money thing for a sec, because my clients, listen, they figure it out. You know, they are smart people who are typically earning a lot of money, and they save money before making the sleep. They're they're prudent. They're not taking massive financial risks. I mean, I've got a client right now. She's a single mom, and she she really wants to leave her job, and she's planning, and she's saving, and she's... She downgraded her apartment, not downgraded. She actually is really excited, but she she found a new apartment where she's paying less. And she actually is like, oh, and it has a swimming pool. Like, it actually has better amenities. Um, but so people are planning, and I ha- and many clients have said to me, you know, I could actually live on a third of what I'm making. Yeah, you can. And you know what? So, uh, I know a lawyer who had a transition a long time ago, and she's a writer now, and she mm-hmm. noted how she would spend so much money on self-soothing that <gasps> she didn't have to yeah. do anymore because she was actually happy with her work. And I thought that That's was right. really interesting that she even was attuned to that. Oh, they're, they're attuned to it. They, people are very attuned that I am going online to shop because I feel like, quote, unquote, I deserve it because I'm so miserable. Yes. I've had that attitude in the past is, you know, if I'm going to be doing something that I don't really love, then I better better be getting some reward for it. You know, I better be able to buy the expensive shoes or whatever, you know, go on the expensive. Or dress or handbag or vacation or dinner out. That's right. So once people start noticing that spending – and that is something I talk, I work with people on and then, and cutting back and noticing and being very mindful then about spending in a way that supports your life goals. 
Yes. Or, rather than keeps you stuck in something that Or other is things or other bad habits like eating. Yeah. There's plenty of other and bad drinking. habits, but yeah. yes, those are my two. <laughs> I know well, if I'm, I'm not against I'm not against alcohol in moderation. It's just like anything else that if it's if it's to numb you yes. and keep you from being present is that really how you want to be spending well, you, your time here on I, earth? I listened to you on another podcast, the Happy mm. Lawyer Project, and there was a discussion there. I think you did that one a few years ago. There was a discussion there too about shopping to self-soothe and once you are actually happy doing something else or whatever it is if you you just need maybe you just need to change firms or you need to find a different practice area when you actually are able to recognize that and go do those other things this the need to self-soothe goes away um and she had mentioned that you can get buy a new pair of shoes but how long is that going to keep you happy Maybe for a week. But how long does how long does that buzz last for? It's like you open the package, you see them, and then it's just more stuff in your life you've got to take care of too. Um, the other thing with money is like it's this other thing comes up all the time with money is that people people understand there's going to be a pay cut. Most people are can really prepare for that, and many people have uh, this story in their head that they're they're only going to earn thirty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> It's like that's the number people are like, oh, I can't. Why, where do they get that from? I don't know where they get that from, but it's pervasive. And so, you know, I help them say, listen, you're going to go to, you're a lawyer, you've been, you're an AC or associate, you're going to go to another job where you're earning money and you will negotiate that and you will find a job that's a salary that you can live on. Well, you have or to. You're gonna, and so, so, so that, it's just another mindset thing. I just wanted to put out there. Well, thank you. I think that's a good point. And at some point, you do have to have faith. And you have mm. faith in, you know, whatever. I'm not talking from a religious perspective. Mm-hmm. But you can have faith in God, but you can also have faith just in yourself and in the process mm. that you are going to be okay, that you're going to figure it out. You don't need to know every single step from now through the outcome. And maybe you don't even necessarily need to know what the final outcome is, but you should have faith that you're going to take, you know, you're going to put one foot in front of the other and you're just going to figure it out and you're going to be okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I think, you know, you have, this is where lawyers get stuck. And I, many other people too, of course, but lawyers are paid to think, right? So yeah. you can't, you can't get there. You can't think your way out of this. And then they end up spiraling down the rabbit hole and feeling stuck. So you have to think and then act. And insight and more information comes from taking action. And it comes and then then the universe and rises up to support you when you're taking action, right? And I'll get a little woo-woo here. Yeah. <laughs> I like woo-woo. I'm a fan of woo-woo. <laughs> so it's you know the law of attraction, people talk about it. It's not just sitting there like just visualizing and sitting on your couch and like I, I see myself like on a private jet, let's say. Yes. It's well, so that's great. Or I see myself with a new job. That's awesome. The visualization is part of it. And then the word action is in attraction, right? It's attract action. So you have to take action. You have to do something to make that you happen. You have to do something. And just 
anything, like anything, it's calling that person who you you met and bumped into. It's following that nudge, that internal nudge that's like, oh, you should call so-and-so or send an email to this person. Reach out to that friend of your mom who she's always telling you to talk to. Okay, today's the day. And when you do those things, new things start to happen and you get more information and then you're able to see new things and new opportunities start to become in your visual field. Yes. I'm, I will share with you. I know I talk when, when you and I talk, I talk about David Nagel a lot. He's a, another personal development coach and he, he calls that magical thinking. That, mm-hmm. you know, if you're just going to sit around and, you know, have hopes and dreams about what you want, but you're not actually going to do anything, that's magical thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And he also says, too, that you you have to believe that you can mm-hmm. have these things. Um, another thing that I've heard in coaching circles, which I've come to learn myself and have practiced it, and I have found that I've gotten results from it, is to say yes to more. You know, yeah. don't just, it's kind of like dating. I, I have friends who are complain that they can't find a boyfriend, but yet they don't go out anywhere. They would rather just go home after work and watch television. And when they have an opportunity to be social or go to a new event or, you know, meet some new people, they don't want to go. And it's like, but yeah. how do you think that you're going to put yourself out there to meet someone if you're not saying yes to things, and, and I think it's like with anything, if you're trying to find a new career opportunity, say yes to things. Yes. You say yes to things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I love the, the magical thinking. It is magical thinking. And it's, you know, things come into reality from thought, right? So you think somebody designed the yes. phone that you're holding, right? That you're listening to this on or the radio or whatever. Like somebody had that thought, but then they turned, they took an action, right? They, they turned it into a thing. So it's, I don't want to diminish the importance of thought, but it's thought plus action that yields results. Yes. And like and I, you're saying, saying yes is an action that you can take. Yeah. You never know who's going to cross your path. You might think, and you know, you might think selfishly, I don't want to, I'm not going to go to lunch with that person. You know, I, they can't do anything for me, but you don't know that. And you know what? Come from no a place idea. of service. Maybe you can do something for them. You never know if there's something in the future that they may be able to do for you or a person that they may be able to introduce you to that will yeah, be pivotal. Yeah. And, you know, there's never, there's never been a time in human history where there's more opportunity to create relationships, to create things. I mean, you and I met because a coach we both worked with connected us, right? That's right. So, and here we are now. Yes. Who, when she first connected us, I had no idea. You had no idea. And now here we are having this conversation together that hopefully is going to help someone out there. Yeah, it happens to me all the time, and I see it in action all the time. And I will tell you, because we have maybe another 10 minutes left, I when I first um, interviewed you the last time for Facebook Live, I mm-hmm. got so much interest. I had advertised your the interview in advance. I got mm-hmm. so much interest from fellow attorneys, people that I don't even know that just happened to like my page that 
couldn't wait. I mean, they were frantic. It was like they were in a panic. Like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it airing? I can't find it. Is there going to be a replay? And yes, they were desperate to hear what you had to say. So I want to make sure that we build in some time for you to really talk about what your coaching process is. So for that, for the people that are listening, that are listening because they're very interested in changing the profession, their profession, and maybe they even want to coach with you. Let's talk about what your coaching process looks like so that they understand that. That's great. And I would, you know, if if you're, (laughs) if you're listening and that, and that appeals to you, like, of course, I'd be happy to talk further, but the coaching process is is I help people discover, I take them through a process of discovery. And I work with people, it's either I've got a three-month process, a six-month program, or a 12-month program. And many people start with the three months and then end up expanding and continuing. Because this work, there's a, like we've talked about, there's a lot of identity stuff, there's a lot of mindset stuff, and there's a lot of self-discovery. Um, so I take everyone, whatever, three, six, or 12 months through this process of discovering what the elements that they are, that they want present in their life. And then in this, I have an acronym for this called EASE. So we discover their skills, their strengths, their values. Those are all part of the elements. And then we, do, we, then we brainstorm with them appealing new possibilities. So this client I was talking with this morning, she, from, from that process, she became very clear that she wants to move her career in the direction of being a chief people officer, that she loves working with people, she likes doing operations, she's a really good communicator and influencer. So she's now in this job, it's half legal, half operations, and she's working directly with the COO of the startup and the chief people person. So she's like clearly on her path and she got that clarity so was able to move towards it. So those are some then so that's the appealing possibilities. And then there's study and research and conversations. And I can't tell you and anyone listening, like sending resumes just into the void is not a way to get a new job. It's seventy percent of jobs aren't even posted, aren't even listed. And yeah. the way to and this is just one tip anyone can walk away is just talk to people. Talk yes. to people who have jobs that you find interesting. Talk to people who might know someone who are real network hubs. Talk to them. Who could, who else could you talk to? And that's the way. So that's the study well, and research I, and conversation. I think that sometimes people will do the, the resume thing because I've talked to friends who, you know, aren't happy and they'll say, well, I looked for jobs and I put in a few resumes, but I didn't hear anything. I think that's kind of a way to hide. It, it's. I mean, how easy is it to just update your resume and just send it off, like you said, just into cyberspace and, you know, probably no one's ever going to call you again. You know what? I think it's a significant step for people to do that. And that's awesome. And when you have your resume ready, that gives people a lot of confidence. And that's great. But if you don't know really what you want to go for, I think it doesn't it doesn't help energetically and it doesn't help you focus. And when you focus on what you want, when you pay attention to what you want, you get more of it. So, you know, the final step in the process is just engaging. And so I do this through, like, there's some one-on-one coaching, more or less, depending on the program. And there's an online course so people move through the content. They can fit it in in little bits and chunks. 
And then there's this community, which is really, I think, I love the one-on-one coaching, but I have group office hour calls for all my clients, and people get together virtually. We do it via Zoom. I've got clients all over the country. I even am working with someone who's in Paris, and they support each other, and it's magical and amazing, and it expands everyone's network, and, like, if they see they're not alone. And then they get, like, amazing love and support from other women lawyers who are working on the same stuff to change their lives. So would you say that you coach anyone from the person who knows specifically what they want to do, they know the job, um, or someone who's just like, I don't even know, I have no idea what I want to do, I just know that I'm miserable with what I'm doing? I, I would say my special like sweet spot is in helping the person figure out what else they could do. And I don't, I don't consider myself like a quote unquote job search coach, like someone who's really going to help you. If you know really what kind of job you want, I can help you, but that's not. So if I say, I want to be this, I want to be the CFO of Facebook. That's, is that, I mean, do, do people even do that? Do they come to you and say, like, I think I told you one time that I wanted to be the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine? Yeah. Yes. And you still could. <laughs> you know what? You it's still it's could. still on my list. It's still on your list. And you could you could still be, you could start blogging for them. You could, I don't know. There's ways to do it. But the first thing I would have you do is start talking to those people, people you know who know someone who writes for Cosmo or works for Cosmo, and how could you even do anything for them for free for super low cost, et cetera. But I'm not, like, I'd rather help the the lawyer who comes to me and says, like, I've been doing this for one year or five years or eight years or 25 years, and I really, I want to stop or I want to transition. I don't know what else to do. And I love helping those people get clear on new possibilities that they can do and go for it. Okay. Well, I hope that um, the right people are listening because we put you out there into the universe. And I, I know, I know plenty of people personally who I think are in a good spot where it would, it's probably time for them to talk to you. Um, but thank you for sharing your personal experience with us. I think it only lends to your credibility and your compassion towards people in this field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really appreciate you inviting me to have this conversation and, and share my story because, you know, I don't want other families to suffer in the way my family did. And, and not that I have any regrets about what happened actually, because I don't think I would be here doing this work if my dad hadn't done what he did. So that really truly was your path. I really, it's, it's, it's not linear, you know, yeah. it's like very squiggly line to get here. And I went to public health school and I did amazing public health work and tobacco control and blah, blah, blah. I did lots of different things. And then once I started coaching, I felt like, oh yeah, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, I didn't wake up and start doing this. It was a long and winding road. Well, thank you um, again. But- Thank you again for sharing. We really appreciate yeah. it. And can, can you can just... I say one last thing about that? I don't know if we're just totally sure. out of time. Can I just Yeah, we have it's one minute. Like... <laughs> okay. My my journey through like my my work on myself to get to this place also led me through a tremendous amount of forgiveness for my dad and compassion for him 
And finally, to a place of gratitude where I really appreciate that whatever happened for him led me to this place where I'm now really able to help so many women and men who, 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 who want to live a life more in alignment with their soul and their values. Well, I just want to make sure that everybody knows how to reach you. Can you just give okay. your website? WomenInterestedInLeavingLaw.com is the best place, and there's a way through there. You can comment to me, or you can um, schedule a conversation. Thank you. Thank so you. WomenInterestedInLeavingLaw.com. Thank you so much, Elaine. I really appreciate it, and thank you for listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. You can learn more about me at ChristinaPrevitt.com. See you next time.